um, we, had this, uh, we had this wild storm that r ripped through. It, it hit up here pretty bad too, didn't it? The, the storm a couple few Saturdays ago, you lose some trees and stuff, not really? Some people are saying yes, and Melinda's saying no, and... Not as bad as another place. Meaford got hit and apparently Thornberry didn't. Is that? All right. There was a storm in Ontario, despite what this group over here is saying. Ottawa got leveled and it was pretty nasty. And Carlene last night was talking, we were with some family and we were talking about it. And, and the announcement had to go out on the Sunday morning and she was part of the team that had to get the word out that there was no electricity in the church. But the announcement said, no service today, no power in the church. That, that was the service. And Carlene started giggling. She said, I I can't send that out. Not giggling, crying. Crying. <laughs> Shh, don't yell out in church. <laughs> it wasn't funny. No, well, it, it made a conversation piece for us for the next, well, it's still, we're still talking about it. No power in the church. Is that true? And when people on the outside, when they talk about us or surveyed about us, do they ever use the word power? No. Do you know the words they use? They're not necessarily all that good. In the top 10, there aren't a whole lot of positive words when people are surveyed about what they think about church, especially during COVID. Our, the words they used for us were not good at all, actually. And power was not one of them. So the question is, what's a powerful church look like? What's power, actually? What's the power of God? How do you define that? I, and, and I like this new setup because you're looking at each other and it's kind of fun that I like this very much, actually. This is good. I'm not going to give you the definition, actually. I'll let you do your homework on the power of God because it really is worthy of good Bible study. But can I get you started? Can I get you to the front door of power? It's at least this in Scripture. It's at least this. It's at least the presence of God, power where he is, there's power, and it's transformative. It's going to leave a mark, good or bad. The power of God is always uh, going to... It, the word is dynamos. It's the word where we get dynamite from, Right? So it's going to do something. It's transformative. So that's, that's a starting place for the conversation that you should have about what is the power of God and what's a powerful church look like? Because does Canada need a powerful church? For sure it does. In fact, they're not interested in anything less. And we know that for sure. So what's the posture of a powerful church? How do we... How do we position ourselves or invite God to pour his transformative work through us? What needs to be true about our church? Well, uh, let's, let's, let's use Ephesians 4 as a drop, uh, uh, as a, a springboard. Can we do that? So Ephesians 4, chapter 1, if you have a Bible, it's on the screen too, here. I should be on this side, right? That's what you told me. You gave me one job. Stand on this side. Look at the screen. I'm looking at you. Nice to see you. Sorry, look in that direction. Ephesians chapter 4, and, and honestly, here's my hunch, and I think it's a biblical hunch, power of God will be poured into a church that is a reconciling church, a church that knows all about forgiveness and is bringing hope and joy. And you know what that definition is? A people of peace. I think God wants the church to be a people of peace, and it's through a people of peace that he will pour out his power into, into our neighborhoods. People of peace. He's called Jehovah Shalom 170 times in Scripture. God of peace, Jehovah Shalom, 170 times he's called that. And the God of peace invites you and I into a covenant of peace. 
See that in Isaiah, and you'll see it in Ezekiel and Malachi. It's called the covenant of peace. I know we usually just call it the old covenant and the new covenant, but actually it is the covenant of peace. So the God of peace invites us into a covenant of peace, and he's done that now through Jesus, who is the prince of peace, and he preaches a gospel of peace. Peace, peace, peace. So when we are pricked, how should we bleed? Peace. And during COVID, when someone had a different opinion than you, how should we have bled or spoken out? Peace. And boy, oh boy, that's how we did it, eh? Did we do well there? If COVID was a test, and don't, I didn't just say God tested us. I didn't say that. But if COVID was a test, how did the church do? Did we even pass, you know? Did people say, hey, those, those people of peace really did a nice job of walking in a polarized time, our neighborhoods into an area of peace and hope and joy. Didn't do so well, did we? So what does a people of peace look like? I, I think this does this. Ephesians chapter 4. So this is how Paul starts. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you... Stop there for a second. Why does he do that? As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you... He could have just said, I urge you. Or he could have just said, live a life worthy. But he does this as a prisoner for the Lord... I urge you. Why does he do that? It's a little bit like your mom doing this. Ready? I gave you birth. You go up and make your room clean now. Why does mom do that? Why does mom do that? You know, there's a reason our moms did that, right? I gave you birth. And do you know how long I was in labor for? Do you know that? Now go clean your room. That's what Paul's doing. It's a very motherly statement he's making here, or apparently... I don't know what that word is, but it's a motherly statement that he's making here with a whole lot of urgency behind it. I want you to hear the depth of my concern for us. This is how I'm urging you, okay? I want you to live a life worthy of your calling. Would you whisper that to yourself for a second? Live a life worthy of my calling. Now, if you just heard blah, 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 I'm not worthy, I'm not as good as Jen, I could never be, then you haven't heard Paul on this one at all. Paul is not saying you have to be Mother Teresa in this. He never does. He says, you can't earn this. Don't try to earn it so that no one can boast. So what's he saying? What's the worthy part over here? So when you, when you Reverend uh, Erica, do a wedding, you and I would do mostly the same types of things. We may not use the same words, but we are facilitating this union here. So they're exchanging vows to one another. And they're saying they love, and they're both really in love, and you know, get the eye, and so they're just really nice. The eye things going on, and the tears, and they're looking at each other. And, and your job and my job is to facilitate these vows being exchanged, and to make sure that they're going to live into these vows. We use words to help them understand that. 100% of yourself into 100% of you, and together, that's biblical marriage, not 50-50, but 100 and 100 coming into each other, right? That's, that's the goal. And we're saying, now live according to those vows. Live into this vow. Live into the love that you are being entrusted with from this person in front of you. You live into this. Live a life worthy of the vows you are making right now. That's what Paul is saying. You have been called by God you have been called by God. Isn't that credible? That's pretty incredible, isn't it? You have been called by God. Now live into that incredible love that he's poured into your life and the gifts that he has for you and his dreams that he has for you. Now what's calling? What's this urgency that we're living into? What, what's the calling? 
Is it static, like you always have the same calling? No, no, calling is, is the journey, right? It's him talking to you on an ongoing basis, saying, Cliff, um, here's what I want for you now, and here's how it's going to go for you now. Here are the gifts I have and the passions and the things you have to process now. And it's church family with each other saying, wow, I, I really see these gifts in your life. And so why don't you try this? You know, step up in this season. Try this. Do this. I really love when you tried that. That's the stuff of calling. It's church family together. It's us together, not you alone in a bedroom hearing an angel from the Lord. Generally, that's not the case at all. Scripturally, it's us together, speaking into each other's life, listening to God together, saying, I see these gifts in your life, pastoral ministry or something like that, in your life. Sorry, I was teasing Hudson. He should be a pastor. <laughs> so what's this look like, this, this calling to live a life worthy of, uh, what live a life worthy of your calling? Well, he says now, be completely humble. Completely here's the word integrity, really. It's the word that says it's got to be, it's holistic, right? It's got to be how you, how you family, how you single, how you, how you parent, how you friend, how you use your money, how you vacation, everything that you're about. That's the word completely here. Humble. Uh, this, this Christian thinker that I listened to, Mark Sayre, I don't know if you've heard him, uh, but he was asked, what kind of church does Canada need now, or the world actually, need now coming through this COVID season? And he said, a humble church. That's a, that's a cool response, actually. I think it's really worth exploring. What is a humble church? What's the definition of humble? Can I use an old standby that you've probably heard me use if you listen to me at all? The, um, and I don't want to know if you remember it or not, because that hurts my feelings if you, if you don't remember. <laughs> but I think the way to understand humble is by understanding the opposite of humble. So the opposite of humble is... What, sorry? Pride, yeah, okay. What's the definition of pride? Definition of pride, I think, is, have you met that person in the airport and they've got like three pieces of luggage? Actually, it's Bob. You should see all the stuff he's got going on. Three pieces of luggage on either hand, like big stuff, and he's got one strapped over his front, and you're doing that, right? One on your back, you got one in your teeth, your briefcase, and you're walking down like that, okay? Walking through. And that person, have you seen that person at the airport, in a busy airport? Are they obnoxious or not? You know, they're bumping into people, and they're not trying to be mean. They've just got a whole lot of luggage. And can they help someone if they see someone needing help? They can't. Can they even shake your hand if it wasn't COVID? Can they do that? Can't even do that. Are they even aware of what's going on around them? That's the stuff of pride. We carry around all this baggage. You know what's in that baggage? It's the trophies that we carry around that make us feel really good about ourselves things and awards. That, it's, not, it's not just conceit, pride, but it is that too. You know, it's the stuff that we carry around that, yeah, I won this in grade 12. I had hair in grade 12. And it was really nice, curly, flip. And by the way, what's wrong with losing your hair? You said that. No, you said he lost all his hair. He's bald now. What, why is that a derogatory thing? I think you should pray about that. It's that stuff. It's also the stuff you hold on into the bag that only you think you're the best person to hold on to these hurts that went on, abuses that went on, and you've never told anybody, and you never will because you're the best person to hold on to that hurt. And so you hold on to that stuff, and you think, I'll never tell anybody about this. And, you, and, and, and that's the luggage you carry. Welcome to grumpy board meetings with a whole lot of people that are banging into be, to each other. Or marriage can be that, where we bang into each other with all that luggage. The opposite, then, is humility or humbleness. Humbleness is allowing God to go through this baggage with you and taking this stuff out and saying, Cliff, 
That jersey, it's really old. You don't need to carry that around anymore. That's not what defines you. Proudy, I love you. Can we put this away? And Cliff, this hurt? Let's talk about that. It's time. It's time now. And every time you take another thing out of your baggage, how are you feeling? Lighter and lighter and freer and freer. And that's the stuff of humility. I don't have to prove anything to you. I can listen to you. I can be responsive to you. That's why Canada needs a humble church. It's a responsive church, a church that's allowing Jesus to go through all our baggage, the hurts that we're holding on to and the stuff, the trophies we're holding on to. So when he calls us and to be completely humble, it's this baggage stuff that he's walking us through. Be completely g- gentle, excuse me. Be completely, oh, sorry. Be completely gentle. <laughs> Can I do that? Watch this. Yeah, am I still on? <laughs> completely gentle. What's gentle? Got a definition of gentle? I know intuitively you know the word gentle. So if I give you a choice, ready? You got two dentists you can come to in Meaford, ready? You got, you got um, this one top of her class, like 100% on everything she scored, 110 on some of her ma- excellent dentists, just 110% on all her marks. She just passed. This guy, he passed everything, but all the Yelp reviews, very gentle. Not gentle, gentle. 100%. 80%. Who do you choose every time? I choose gentle, because this is a sensitive area, right? If the dentist passed and it's going to do well, and I have a choice between gentle and not gentle in a sensitive area, what am I choosing? Gentle. Why? Because this is sensitive. I don't want somebody not gentle poking around like that. In fact, I don't want to be married to somebody who's not pursuing gentleness. I don't want a parent not out of gentleness. I don't want a friend that's not learning gentleness. I don't want Bible teaching from someone not gentle. You ever been to a used card salesman preacher? Not gentle? And I'm speaking this with confidence because gentleness and humility is a characteristic of who in Scripture? Matthew 11:29. Jesus is humble and gentle. Hmm. Church that looks gentle is gentle. Gentleness is all about how someone receives you. That's gentleness. It's the tone you use with someone and however they experience that tone. It's the words that you use. It's the behavior that you are uh, giving off, the vibe that someone is experiencing from you. That's the stuff of gentleness. Jesus is gentle. In a church, we should be gentle. Think about some of the arguments that we heard during COVID. I'm not suggesting in this church, but you saw it on media, right? We saw some of the things that went on in media. Was the church gentle with one another? How about the next one? Were we patient with one another? Oh my goodness, when I read scripture and I hear about the patience of God, it's one of his qualities again, right? Gentle, humble, patient. God is called a patient God. Timothy is called a patient God. He hasn't returned yet because he's patient with people. He's patient with Israel over and over. I mean, they were delivered from slavery and like five minutes later they want to go back. And what should he have done? And if you were in charge, what would you have done? What would you have done? And what did he choose to do? Be patient, you know? I listened to some of the debates we're having, theological conversations that the church is having, and there's not a whole lot of patience. We're just... We're more and more polarized and more and more angry and more and more right. 
and not patient. Not patient. Patient is not just waiting. You can wait for someone to not be patient, right? Dads, when you're sitting in a car waiting for your kids, you can wait for them, but you're not necessarily patient, are you? Ask my kids. They get in the car and they hear something from me. On my good days, it's patience. So what is the good days? What is patience? Patience, biblically, is generous waiting. And the definition of biblical generosity is something important to you that becomes something important to somebody else. That's biblical generosity. And when you extend something important to you, time, for instance, and you extend it to someone else, that's the stuff of patience. It's the, uh, if you're keeping notes, Luke 15, it's the prodigal son, the father, who waited, not anxiously, but with expectation. There's a sense of uh, sacrifice or generosity that's going on there. Be patient, and then lastly, bear with one another. Bearing one another is not just putting up with. That's not what it is. So you're not just putting up with Jason. That's not, you know, he's quirky, and so we just put up with him. That's not bearing with. You're not Christian because you just put up with the guy. Bearing with one another scripturally is journeying with. We, we are quirky. Look around the room. You're quirky. I know some of you, you're especially quirky, right? And now journey with one another, understanding that you are equally quirky and sinful, and you're going to make mistakes, and that's the stuff of biblical bearing with. It's the journey we do with one another. And then you put all this magic together, this, um, this gentle and humble and patient and, and bearing with. And what do you have? What's it look like? Can you go to the next passage? We have this thing of bond of peace then. There's the covenant of peace. All of a sudden, we've defined peace to the world. If we figure out what it is to be humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another, then what are the words that people would use for us? One of the words will be, that's, that's, that's a peaceful place. I feel peaceful when I'm among them. I want you to see this one last thing. Verse 4, 5, and a little bit of 6. Ready? I want you to look for one word that's used over and over here, okay? It's just one word, and it's used several times. One word, just want to see it when I read these, four verse, these three verses. One word, just see if the one word, you can see it when I use the one word. And count the number of times I say this one word, ready? It's subtle. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Did you catch one word that was used several times? What was the one word? How many times was it used? That's, you know what that is? That's really interesting. Because the ancients, back in Bob's day, they didn't have um, <laughs> underlining and oh, italics and bold, and they didn't have that. So what they had is literary tool, right? So they, they used things like a word order, for instance, or they used word placement, or they doubled words, so holy, 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 or where we see uh, very red, it was red, red, or things like that. And they used numbers. Numbers like three, six, seven. It's like, a, like an old-time emoji. When you were a kid, that was what they used. Like, this is an old-time emoji, right? It's a literary tool. And what does the number seven mean in Scripture? Do you know? And it, it doesn't always mean that, but usually you're supposed to pay attention to that. Just like an underlined word. We've got to pay attention. Something is being said here. And so what's the number seven, generally, in Scripture? Any idea? Yeah, yeah, there's something really whole, holy about it. There's something big in this, something perfect in it. Yeah, 
funny, eh? there's two ways of doing it. There's the people that look down or look away like you're thinking about it, and the one staring at me is like, I dare you to ask me, I dare you. <laughs> and it's right, that's right, good answer. When you see this, this one, 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 seven times, you're hearing heart of God stuff. And you're hearing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pay attention to oneness. What's oneness? John 17, when Jesus prayed for oneness, he was praying a pretty powerful prayer. He said, listen, Father, as you and I are one, what's that mean? We don't know. We can almost get our head around the Trinity. You know, I can, I can give you the words, ready? There is one Godhead and three persons. I said those words. I can almost understand it, but if you start to press me about their relationship, it starts to hurt my head. Because there's something more there that on this side of heaven, we have no experience with, or we have a growing revelation or experience with. And on the other side, we're going to know fully. But on this side, we've got this promise that when I use those words, there's this mystery, there's this bigness of God. It's beautiful. And then Jesus does this powerful thing, powerful, when he prays, and Jesus, and, and Father, I'd like them to be one with us. Not that we would be God, but somehow we get to be a part of this oneness. He wasn't praying about an ideal. Jesus had been living this for eternity. So this is his experience, and he wants us in this experience with him. But what needs to be true is that as we move into oneness, it's not a whole bunch of you and you and you alone. It's us. There's an us-ness here. And we need to figure out what it is for us to be one, to enjoy the oneness of God. That's the stuff of powerfulness. God, us, in this oneness. Not that we are God. We are certainly not. But he invites us into this oneness. This is the oneness. Peace is this stuff. It's us leaning into what it is to be a humble church, humble with one another, learning what it is for that stuff to be unpacked in our lives so that we can be freer and freer, so that we can be what we need to be in the community. It's the stuff of gentleness, how people receive us, the words, the tone, the attitude, the actions. It's patience. It's not just waiting for people to come around to your point of view. It's generously waiting. And it's bearing with one another. It's the gift of not just putting up with, but coming alongside with. It's journeying with. And it's understanding that this is all about peace and oneness. Pretty cool. Like, can you picture a church like that? Canada needs it. As I understand you all, and I get to hear about you through my family, uh, I love the stuff that goes on here. And I love that you are thinking about big thoughts and that you're very warm and loving with one another. If we lean fully into this stuff of peace for our community, we get to be on the front end of reconciling, reconciling relationships between people groups in Canada. And there's a whole lot, not hard to start a fight in Canada, eh? I could do it right now, want me to do it? <laughs> Watch this, ready? I'll just say one word, vaccine, or convoy, or face mask, or Donald Trump, and you know, Canadians blow up with one, and that can't be true for a people of peace. So let me pray that way. Can I pray that way for us? How'd I do, Jess? What time was it? Okay. Jess gave me a warning that I wasn't allowed going along. Let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for what you're doing in the life of this church family. I thank you for the spirit in this room, the love that is shared, and, 
and the things that you have in store, and I am grateful. I'm grateful because, Jesus, I, I know that your heart is that when we learn these things with you, when we lean in fully to what it means to be a people that our first language is, is forgiveness and reconciliation and hope and joy, this, the stuff of peace, then Jesus, you'll, you'll use us powerfully. And so I pray that blessing into this church life. But before we be that person of people, people of peace, we need to receive it. And so, Father, I pray that you would be uh, giving us this, this courage to lean fully into what it is to allow our bags to be unpacked because we don't have to carry that around anymore. I thank you for your patience with us, and now, Lord, make me a patient man. I thank you for how you do better than just put up with me, but you journey with me in my quirkiness and sin. I thank you, Father, for how gentle you are always with me. Make me gentle. And Lord, give us that love for oneness for us. And it's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen.